Good evening, everyone. Uh, the scripture reading for this evening's lesson is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Again, if you'd like to follow along, that's Genesis 3, 6 through 8. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All of us are familiar with this story. We've probably each heard many sermons over the years about the Garden of Eden, the temptation of Saint, based by Satan, the fall of man, and the ultimate expulsion from paradise. The background, as we all know, is that God created this beautiful world, the land, the sea, and the heavens, and created man in his image to rule over all of the creatures of the world. He has also created woman to help man, to be by his side, and to be a helpmate to him. Although Adam and Eve walk amongst God and live in paradise, wanting for absolutely nothing, they have also been instructed not to eat of a certain tree. In fact, God had told them that if they touched the tree or ate of it, that they would surely die. I'll have to admit, now that I have children, I often think of this story with my own kids, and that they will be surrounded by toys and food and every last thing they could possibly imagine or want in this world. And you tell them, I just don't want you to do this one thing. And they do that one thing. And so I, I, for whatever reason, I, just, I always think of that when I think of this story. Um, and so in the story, as we all know, a serpent commonly understood to be Satan, comes along and tempts Eve to eat it, promising that she will surely not die and that her eyes will be opened once she's eaten it. In the story, Eve cannot resist the temptation, eats of the tree, and subsequently gets Adam to eat it as well. Genesis 3-7, as we read, then tells us, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Not until they ate of the tree that they ever realized that they were naked. More importantly, not until they ate of the tree were they ashamed and looked for something to cover themselves with, in this case, the fig leaves. Genesis 3.8 then goes on to tell us, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves? They hid themselves because they understood that they had wronged God. They had sinned against him. Their fault, however, was not solely in eating from the tree, but in assuming that using fig leaves to cover themselves or to hide amongst the vegetation would somehow shield them from God's gaze. They very incorrectly misunderstood that God can see deep within each of us, far beyond the superficial coverings that we may construct around each of ourselves. Adam and Eve hid themselves thinking that they could hide themselves from God. The effect of sin made them aware that they had disobeyed God, and they were ashamed. Before they sinned, they were delighted to see God. But after they sinned, they did not want to see Him. Sin causes us to want to hide from God physically, emotionally, and spiritually because we all know that we are guilty. Like Adam and Eve, we try a lot of fig leaves to cover up our shame and guilty conscience and to project a certain image that we want others to see. This evening, I'd like to talk about two types of fig leaves that we all need to be aware of and that each of us, in some form, likely employ at one time or another. The first are personal fig leaves, 
and the second are spiritual fig leaves. First, I'd like to talk about the personal ones. How many of us are the same exact people in church as we are outside of church? Probably everyone in the room continues to have non-Christian friends that don't attend church regularly with us or otherwise. Many of us likely also have friends that are atheists. Do we all act the same way around them as we do when we are in church amongst our brethren? For many of us, myself included, we did not grow up as Christians. I did not grow up in a regular church-attending household and only became a Christian in my adult life. I still have many friends, good friends, that I've had since I was a young child. We've been through many things together, the good and the bad. Just because I became a Christian doesn't mean that I all of a sudden forsake these friendships and those relationships that I have built over my entire life. Just because they aren't Christians doesn't mean they aren't good people, good husbands, good fathers, and good friends. But should our relationship change? If I'm now a Christian, should the behaviors that I exhibited before continue? And sure, should there also be some change in my behavior, my attitude, and my priorities? 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And similarly, in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, we're told, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which goes corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. But do we always do this? When you're around non-Christian friends or coworkers, do you change your behavior accordingly? I think, if we're honest with ourselves, we all have at some point, and it's hard not to. We want to fit in. We want to be liked. We want to avoid a confrontation about something. People are social creatures by our nature, and most of us therefore naturally want to fit in and not to rock the boat in those types of situations. But when we behave differently, we're putting on our personal fig leaves. These personal fig leaves are hiding our true selves and our true identities. Like Adam and Eve, we are covering ourselves in the hopes that we won't be ashamed, that others won't see our true selves. This is not only deceptive, but it is also detrimental to our character as Christians, and we all know it. I think we all know when we haven't behaved the way we should. I myself have certain Bible verses that pop in my head in certain situations. I call it my spiritual conscience. You know, I'll be doing something and something will pop in my head and I just, I, I know that I shouldn't be doing it. And it's kind of a self-course correction that we actually talk about uh, in Bible study pretty regularly. Now, Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. And further down it says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Has anyone here ever told a joke or laughed at one that they shouldn't? Especially in a mixed group setting where you may be the only Christian. No need for a show of hands, but just something to think about. Have any of us ever repeated a story that we didn't know if it was true or not? Engaged in gossip with others. Proverbs 11.13 says that he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. And Psalm 141.3 echoes this theme when it says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Yet how many of us have stood around as rumors were discussed? Or how many of us have repeated them? 
no matter how improbable or how unrelated in any way to being our business. With each of these examples, we know what we're supposed to do or not do. The Bible is clear on that. And most of us in our daily lives probably does a pretty great job at not doing the things we aren't supposed to do. But we all need to be on guard for our personal fig leaves, for those defensive measures that, we, that may take us astray from our true selves in an attempt to cover who we are or to fit in in any given situation. To do so not only harms ourselves, but moves us further from God. And the second thing that I'd like to touch on are spiritual fig leaves. We need to be on guard against our spiritual fig leaves as well. These are fig leaves that we use to cover ourselves in the, appearance, in the appearance that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing and that we're doing God's will. But similar to God in the Garden of Eden, he can see through each of us and knows what's in our hearts regardless of the spiritual fig leaves that we may put in place to cover ourselves. We try fig leaves of good religious works, church membership, church attendance, tithing, philanthropy, etc. These are all good and wonderful things. After all, James 2.14 tells us, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But are we doing these things for the right reasons? If God looked past our actions and into each of our hearts, what would he see? Matthew 6, 1 through 3 says, Take heed that you not do charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. <clears throat> Many of us in this room attend uh, Bible study on Sunday mornings or in Wednesday evenings, uh, and some of us also participate uh, Tuesday evenings at the Naval Academy. But are we active participants? Are we taking the time to study, to think about the words, to internalize, apply them in our daily lives, or are we just checking the box? We think, if I'm supposed to attend church, well, then I should probably attend Bible study as well. But attendance is not participation. And what about the lessons that are delivered on Sunday morning and Sunday evening? Are we thinking about those lessons as they're delivered? Are we paying attention and listening diligently? Or are we all distracted? Are we on our phones? Or are we already thinking about what we're going to do with the rest of our days? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Attending church or Bible study shouldn't be about checking the box. It shouldn't be about making sure we're counted in the attendance numbers for that particular service. We should attend and we should participate because that is what our hearts desire. Matthew 6, 5 through 7 says, And when you pray, you should not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. When you're in that secret place, behind the shut door, there is nothing that stands between you and God. He knows your heart and knows your true being. No amount of covering it up will work. 
We need to be on guard for spiritual fig leaves because at the end of the day, God knows if we're checking the box. He knows if we're doing the bare minimum to meet the standard. And by that, I mean our standard, not his. All outward acts of religion without the focus on the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins are like withered fig leaves. Our spiritual fig leaves fall short of the righteousness required by God. Truly following Jesus Christ with all our hearts is the only way to true salvation. When we accept him as our savior, his righteousness lives in us. Without this focus, we are wearing fig leaves in the hope that God won't notice. He will. <clears throat> this evening's sermon has been meant to highlight the work that I need to do as much as anyone else. For as Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we are lucky. For most of us in the room this evening, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and been baptized for the remission of our sins. For, you, for those of you that haven't, I'd ask you to reflect on Acts 22.16. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We in this room have that promise, but we all have work to do. We all need to be true to ourselves, true to the righteous individuals that God has called each of us to be. It isn't easy, but it isn't meant to be. As Matthew 7:13 tells us, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. We're all imperfect, but that's the point. Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made it possible for us to be with him again in paradise. All we have to do is make the decision to follow him. If there's any way that we can help you, won't you let us know while together we stand and we sing. <clears throat>